Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Love Extremist Radio. I am in Mar Vista with my old friend, Jeff Rosenthal, a.k.a. Hefe, a.k.a. Rosie. See. <laughs> All the things. Jeff is the co-founder of Summit, co-owner of Powder Mountain Ski Resort, and principal designer of Summit Powder Mountain, Summit's mountaintop village of the future. He is the co-director of the Summit Action Fund, a founding partner of the Drawdown Fund, and serves on the boards of Beyond Conflict, Street Soccer USA, and the Leadership Council of Conservation International. He is also a co-author of the soon-to-be-released Make No Small Plans book. What's up, Jeff? How you doing, Ethan? You are one of the original love extremists. Do you know that? Yeah, I do know that. Yeah. Well, not like in like life. I'm sure there are other extremist <laughs> lovers out there, but you're referring to your... Yes, love thank you, program. fair. Yeah. Martin Luther King dropped the knowledge from yeah. Letter from Birmingham Jail yeah. way back. Yes. So we can't claim any ownership of this. Yeah. But in the reinterpretation, I started printing these pins, and Jeff was like, yo, make me 100. Yeah, you know, you gotta support your friends. So, but like, what was it about that that you were like, oh, this is cool? Well, I like you a lot. Oh, uh, that's the, That's the primary. And I like just, the, it's a, you know, I think uh, it's simple and to the point. You know, extreme mm-hmm. hate is only going to get, you know, solved by extreme love. And, uh, you know, you were like, check these pens out. And I was like, those look cool. Let's do it. <laughs> it wasn't really that, like, premeditated or thoughtful. It was just like, you know, when your homies yeah. are doing things, you should step up. But you've been that for me before we even knew each other. Did you were you? like, those pocket tees look cool. Let's do it. I remember that. Well, I was wearing your pocket tees before. That's what I'm met. saying. Yeah. Before please. we even knew each other. I was feeling your vibe before, you know. It's crazy. Feeling your vibe. Right. I remember meeting you and like you were walking by the shop and you're like, oh, Pleak. I was like, who's this guy that knows who we are? Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. And then Sean was like, you guys should know each other. Yeah. So who has Love Extremist pins that I don't know about? Uh, well, they're all gone. So right. So I gave all the ones that you gave me away. But you had a couple epic gives, I remember. I had a couple good ones. We got, uh, we got one on ASAP Rocky. That was good. That, that was, was solid. That's that recent. recent. Who else? I don't remember who I'm else. trying to think. I think Harrison Ford was named at I one point. Harrison Ford, Love Extremist Pen. You're right. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't know if that's like in his daily rotation. I imagine that it could still be on the jacket that I threw on Rocky. You know? Right. It looked really good. Yeah, it worked like, on that. Yeah, exactly. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't want to just, like, come on your podcast and name drop, right? No, I'm just curious, like, th- this was an interesting experience, because I was thinking back, like, love extremism, Jeff, and then I realized, like, you really took on, and I actually, like, kind of came to this idea of love extremism at Summit, 
So Matt Chandler and Christian Piccolini were having a conversation on the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. It was like a July 4th weekend, I want to say. And they were talking about kind of how the government was addressing extremist hate Mm -hmm. and a lot of tech solutions that were going towards that. So I, you know, naively raised my hand and said, so what is the government doing to support extremist love? Mm -hmm. Knowing there wouldn't be a good answer. Yeah, just a great question. Yeah, it was really, (laughs) I just like to ask good questions with no good answers. And that stuck with me. It was like, oh, wow, what is that? What is extremist love? So, yeah, it's kind of been an interesting investigation. Are you asking me what extremist love is, or is this just, this is that, there's no question? Well, that was the initial question. I mean, sure. What is it? What do you, how would you define it? You're the extremist love guy. That's not my, I mean. I go around the country asking people this question. I didn't realize that. That's what the podcast is? The podcast is about a lot of things. Okay. That's what, if listen to some episodes, this hasn't, anyways. Let's break it apart. What are you an extremist for? (sighs) Um, I, I do. Uh, I get most of my joy from the people in my life. Um, and I'm blessed with an amazing family and incredible friends like you. And, um, you know, whether it was before or after we started summit, I really do get more like serotonin and dopamine from doing for others than I get from doing for myself. So I think that, you know, if you're going to be a community builder as a profession, as, as I've chosen, um, it's really important that that's the structure of how your mind works because then you're real and you're really about the things that you're preaching. And I think that authenticity is everything in this day and age. So I'm extreme about authenticity. Yeah. I'd rather be real and not like than, you know, fake myself. That being said, I'm also, you know, I'm a bit, I'll, I'll eat the barbecue in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm a vegetarian, but like, I'm not going to argue that with like, you know, the people that are hosting me from time to time. So I'm also, I'm pretty flexible uh, I'm not very extremist in any capacity other than, you know, for my friends and for, you know, the community that I service. Uh, and in, in turn, just going back to the love piece, like what is extremist love and like, what does it mean to me? Yeah. Um, I think that choosing love and nothing else is a really hard thing to do. It's an easy thing to say. And like when you're, when you're like, you know, in conversations like this, like we know how we want to be with other people. Um, but when it really comes down to it, like how you love your family, how you love strangers, um, and how you love those that you disagree with, how you treat them, um, it's just infinitely difficult even for the most woke, right? Right. Um, so I, I, I try to think about it like the best metaphor I heard from it was actually Tony Gonzalez, the football player. Yeah, you have a great podcast and, with him. Uh, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah. he was like, uh, but, but what he said that really stuck out to me is like, do you like love your in, in your partnership and the way that you did in your sport? You know, mm. like if you were in the way you love music and the way you play music, Ethan, do you love your partner like that? Mm. Like with that level of permission and with that level of of uh of true love not not an expectation a version of them that you want and that's like that's that's a conditional love you know but like can you love your your friends or your partners like sunsets like i'm blessed (laughs) to be here it's awesome to see this but you're never like oh man sunset can you be a little more pink here right orange there no you're just like i'm lucky to get to take this in this is a beautiful experience so i i try to not be a hypocrite and I am a little bit like, cause I'm so social, me especially the way this is concerned. I'll, I'll tell you why. Like I, I'm so hyper social all the time because of my work, like run 
running for mayor of nowhere at always. Uh, <laughs> when I'm like by myself out in life, I'm really kind of quiet and reserved right. and I don't really engage that much with, with strangers, like yeah. just on the street. Right. And because uh, when you're on, you're fully on. Yeah. And so I don't know. I feel kind of like a dick about it. I don't think you need to feel like a dick about it. One thing that I do parse out from what you're saying is like the love of the sunset, the love of the game, the love of the music feels like a very important self-love practice, right? It's recognizing what do I, Jeff or Ethan, love in life and Mm -hmm. celebrate on a daily basis in ritual, whatever that might be. It could be sport. It could be anything. And then when we get into interrelational love between other individuals, there becomes a little bit of a dynamic. And the closer you get to those individuals, the more you can kind of lean on them to maybe like make changes or get conditional a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an interesting duality there where, yeah, how do we approach our self-love practices the same way we might approach our interrelational love practices? And people get tripped up. Some folks are like, no, like my whole value comes from interrelational love, from the community around me, from my partnerships, right, Mm -hmm. from my kids, and others are like, my whole value comes from my purpose or the things I'm passionate about. Yeah. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Um, really, neither of those two things is is the generation of my like happiness or self-love, to be honest with you. Like, I think um, there's a great book called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. And mm-hmm. you know, it talks about how we're both these like conscious, brilliant beings that also have no control over when we like die and have to poop every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, so there's like a lot, like we, we can, we know the secrets of the universe. We're like conscious of our consciousness and yet we're completely out of control and we're going to die. And that is actually crazy. And so we create these sort of, uh, self extensions, right? Whether it's passionate about our work or a family or a charismatic political leader or a sports team, all these things. And that creates a, a wider definition of ourselves, right? And that, so when we die, we don't really die. Um, so do you think that's just a distraction from the inevitable end is like, Attaching well, well, ourselves I, to passions. I think, I think that it's really important to self-generate happiness and love. And I think that if you are dependent on inter- interrelational love or your own, like, legend or, like, your own work or passions or whatever, I guess your listeners can't see my air quotes with my fingers. <laughs> but um, I think you're really setting yourself up for failure, ultimately, because you don't have a relationship with yourself where you truly love yourself. For me, I grew up in Texas... And I'm, Dallas, Texas. I'm from Dallas, Texas, and I'm and it's it's a place, or at least where I grew up, where it's pretty conformist. You know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it's the the thing to do is to do the thing that everybody else is doing. And I'm a bit of an odd bird, you know, <laughs> and so uh, I really struggled as like a little kid. And anyway, I struggled just with the way that you know we interact with one another, and you know, just understand that like you know, and I had you know dealt with depression as like a kid. You know, and I was in my early you know teens or whatever, 10 to say 14 or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that because I had that hardship early on and because I kind of, you know, I've been lost a couple other times in my life, like played sports in college and thought I'd be a pro athlete. I was total jock moron. You know what I mean? Didn't know anything about anything. And then you realize you're like, man, I'm climbing the wrong mountain. Like I have to start all over here. Um, I think because I had those sort of foundational, uh, misses, like I didn't, you know, I had, you know, I dealt with the the difficulty of making friends as a kid and I, and I, you know, dealt with sort of like the dis- dissolution of sort of the narrative that I built for myself, um, until I was like, say 20. Right. Um, 
I don't know. I, I, I know now that the people that love me the most and that I love the most couldn't care less about the success or failure of my next project. And that's the main thing. That's the big thing. I vibe with that. Yeah. And what's even crazier is that the thing that we're passionate about often takes us away from the people that we, that we love the most. Yeah. So they, they are, they are counter incentivized. Right. Um, uh, to support that kind of thing. So just being conscious of, and you know, you know, do your best, forget the rest, ever, sooner, forever. That's my motto. That duality, though, must constantly confront you because you're ultimately leading a community of people who are doers, mm-hmm. who attach themselves to what they're doing mm-hmm. as almost as identity, right? And for totally. so long, I mean, in, even in your bio, right, a lot of your project, Summit and Powder Mountain and the work that you do, yeah. has been grand and has been about building community. Yeah. And in that identity... There's also like the, the, the challenge of recognizing like, and when I go, like what really matters is like, you know, these relationships that are beyond my accomplishments. And maybe I just feel, uh, comfortable in my accomplishments and like, I've already gotten to, it's easy. It's like, it's like, yeah, easy for you to say you've had like, you know, press stories about you and, you know, built your own company and have, you know, all these things that other people want. I imagine if I didn't have those things, mm-hmm. I probably still want those things. It's like you want to learn through experience, not just hearing some, you know, woke dude say that this is what's important. So um, I'm sure that there's some hypocrisy in my answer. And I'm, you know, I happen to have now lived through those things. But um they just don't bring joy. They bring happiness. They bring um, excitement. They bring lots of other stuff, but joy, like true joy. Like, you know, I got my two-year-old River. Like, you know, when he come, when I come home from a trip and he comes and, like, gives you a hug and, like, it's like, of course, it's the only thing you can find. It's just, mm. you know, it's it's a different level of, of joy than you. And so there, it's you're never really um, content, right? Like I always feel like I should be doing more for my work. And I always feel like I should be doing more for the impact organizations I work with. And I always feel like I'm not doing enough for my family or I'm not present enough. Hmm. And, uh, it's just there and it is what it is. And I don't think that there's something to solve for, you know, like I just Mm -hmm. think that we live these big lives these days and we're empowered by technology in a way that no generation before us has been. And we feel connected to the existential threats of our time in ways that no other generation has like been um connected to like the idea that like we're responsible for the health of our environment that's a pretty new idea yeah you know and the in the last 20, 50 years yeah and the 12 and, i mean in a very small group of people in the 70s like today it's a pretty prevalent understanding mm-hmm. or um you know, like the, just, just the 24 hour news cycle and understanding like how badly certain people have it in this world and how unfair the structure is for so many people, um, out there. It's really easy to talk about like, you know, uh, philosophies on love and existential issues when you're like practical issues aren't nipping at your heels. So like if you have crippling student loan debt and, or like a health issue or a, a loved one that's passing away, like all this shit's out the window. You know, it's really, really, really hard um, to get to a place where you can be, you know, hip in your your opinions and answers on this stuff. So, what do you think are the most important challenges facing our generation? What are the things that like keep you up at night or wake you up in the morning and you're like, oh, we got to figure this out? Well, I think those are different answers. I think that the thing that's afflicting our generation the most is sort of like. I think we have a serious mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I think that we all see the trappings of success and think that they're things that we want. And then most of the people that have those things are unhappy for another set of issues. And so like, we're all kind of like looking and coveting what our neighbor has in some weird way and feeling like we're not enough. And, uh, also we're like the new apprenticeship generation. I think that there's like, uh, uh, unconscious generational, uh, uh, negative PR, blitz against millennials mm. uh what better way to get people to work longer for less than tell them that they're entitled to deserve a tr- think they deserve a trophy like we're the first generation to have like a lower earning capacity in our parents right like, home ownership's way down so our security is less we have like this unbelievable ballooning student debt problem in this country right um and the nature of sort of a a a you know, uh, the Republic is that in, in the nature of sort of democratic capitalism is that wealth creates more wealth. So those that have, have more forever. And those that have less, have less kind of forever right now, like without like real, you know, um, corrections at sort of a, at a governmental level, right? Mm-hmm. Like we need, you know, structural legal changes in order to augment that system. So when like, you know, Zuckerberg says like, Oh, you want me to change? Regulate me. Everybody's like, fuck that guy. But the reality is, is he's kind of, there's something there. It's like, so you would say it's the responsibility of the public sector to resolve a lot of the social issues that we're facing as a generation. I don't know if I have the answer, but that's concerned. I think that yes, some of them for sure. Like how unfair the game is. This whole winner take all thing is just absurd. (laughs) That like, you know, like, I don't think it's not like, you know, eat the rich and you shouldn't be allowed to become a billionaire. I don't necessarily believe in that. I think that, you know, like the game is so wildly unfair, though, that you do need to take care of those that that don't have the opportunity. Like, the savage inequalities we can remove um, in ways that I think that are really practical and don't cost anybody anything meaningful. So let's tie that into your day to day. Yeah. Like when you're waking up in the morning, what of those savage inequalities or kind of areas of focus are most pressing? Um, well, with Beyond Conflict and that work, it's really about um, cognitive dissonance and bias and dehumanization and sort of the delta between those that disagree um, with one another. And I think that compromise has become this dirty word in our society where it's actually one of like the greatest things that human beings can accomplish with one another. Mm. Like, we totally disagree, and yet we're going to find a middle ground to move forward as a society. That is amazing. And we should do more of that. That's like a real departure from our, like, you know, our, 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 our monkey nature, right? Our history. Totally. Our, our uh, evolutionary history. Like, the, to be able to do that in such large groups. Um, Can you speak a little bit to what Beyond Conflict's about? Well, that's really what it's about. There's sort of like a leading sort of science research thinking um, lab on conflict resolution, bias, dehumanization, the ways that we, way, the ways in which we get to those places. They actually have a polarization index coming out right now um, that talks towards how polarized we are in the United States. We believe that people, like, essentially are doubly in disagreement with us. We think we're twice as far away from one another in our beliefs than we actually are. And we think that the, quote, other side of the outgroup has doubly negative opinions of us personally. So we Hmm. think that you think that we're idiots 2x, and we think that we disagree 2x in reality. Right. So, um... One of the brilliant things I've learned from that organization also is just like how to create cognitive dissonance, how to actually get people to change their minds. And it's not by attacking them. Mm. If you attack someone, you get defenses. 
if you allow someone the opportunity to, to, to recognize their own hypocrisy um, in private or in a non-combative nature, that shifts their mind state. Sounds like being a love extremist to me. Very much so. I think that that's a really important component. Like there's a space of vulnerability that -hmm. creates access, right? And when we can articulate personal story, I don't know if you think, I guess I'll ask, like we both, I interviewed Jim George a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah. And you've been seeing Jim George. How was was his interview? Amazing. Yeah. Like in the middle, I press pause and he just brings me into the zone. And then I come back and I'm like, he's like, you know, it's seven hertz. I'm like, okay, cool. But we were talking a bit about story. Right. And the value of story. And I just had a salon at the house and we were talking about story. And there's a kind of a mixed perspective on this. Some Mm -hmm. folks are like, drop your story, drop your ego. That doesn't serve you. And others are like, this is the only way we can connect as human beings is to identify with our history, the shit we've been through, our traumas. I mean, I really appreciate you speaking about your youth and like Mm -hmm. the sense of being a weird kid. I think that's probably a, a lot of where you and I align as friends is like seeing like, yeah, we're former weird kids and still are, yeah. but like it's accepted in our community, right? Totally. And I think like there's something interesting about that idea of like identifying with our story as a place of commonality Yeah. that's not tied to dogma or religious belief or political yeah. background or whatever. Well, I'd say what you focus on expands and the aspects of your self-definition that don't serve you release. You so it's know, about like, ge- being generative. And all we are is meaning-making machines, right? Like, the reality <laughs> is is that, you know, you know, whatever, the universe is billions of years old. There's billions of people on this planet. You're alive for a blink of an eye. You are pretty completely and totally insignificant in the grand th- scheme of things. And yet, you are the only camera one and camera two you'll ever look out. So you are essentially the only perspective on life, right? So you're both the most important thing and the least important thing um, at the same time. And so the stories that we create and the stories that we tell ourselves is how we create meaning. Without them, we're meaningless, right? Like, mm. So I, I don't think you can really release your ego and drop all stories and just be... And it's just, that's another story. That's another <laughs> self-definitive story that you're like, you know, telling yourself. And especially if you're like externally living it. It's like, right. You're like, oh, if you're, if you're projecting that. I'm a total spiritual gangster now. You're like, so you're, <laughs> Thanks, Ram Dass. You, you yeah. clearly aren't. If you're like, you know wearing the robes you know like my, dread, my dreads are on the inside bro you know like that's how you are, become a practical radical you know what i mean like uh so i don't know i think that in terms of the stories that don't serve you and the stories about your own shortcomings or what you can't do i'll say this to want to be is to define yourself as not the thing that right. you're aspiring to by saying that you want to be something or you want to have something and focusing on the want right. just means that you're defining yourself as not With lack. So if you yeah. assume the energy of what you're looking to become, if you act in the pattern of you know the, the, the actions that you need to take in order to, to, to gain the knowledge or amass the experience or move down the path towards the thing that you're looking to be, that's the only way to change your outcome. You've positioned yourself as acting as like success sometimes before you've like accomplished the thing and then the thing comes later historically. Yes. yes. And a lot of people struggle with that, especially amongst like men of privilege like us. Yeah. Um, because we have this kind of foundation where it's like, yeah, I can position myself and be like, I had this conversation with this person. They're kind of bought in to an idea. So now I can go to the next person and get them bought in. And then collectively we can make something bigger Mm -hmm. before the actual thing has been created. 
And I think that that, that kind of um, belief in ourselves yeah. is something that, I don't know, where does that come from? Like, do you feel like that's a privilege or you think that's something that you've trained? Like, what is that? Look, I think we're born on the 50, right? Or we can we can hit a long field goal then, and we're gonna score. But like we, we you know, loving family. I'm a straight white dude. It's like you know, from a solidly middle class household. Like I did not. I had. I didn't. I'd go call that seventy five, but yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like yeah. exactly. So, so like I, de- we definitely are privileged, and aspects of our perspective are uh, are touched by that. There's, yeah. you know, I won't debate that. I will say that if you are alive today, you are luckier than just about every other human being that's ever lived in human history right Mm. and we have access to knowledge and tools and technologies that were reserved for kings and queens of eras past right Mm. and learning how to learn is very difficult and again shedding in the stories and the in the in the traumas that hold us back and distract us from what you're talking about also very, very, very difficult. Like right. you have to do that in order to be in a position where you can become as impassioned and focused on like a thing that you want to build or do to then go and, 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 you know, get other people to jump on your train. Right. And I'd say that, you know, conviction is the one like brilliant people invest in startup entrepreneurs with no revenue model, assuming that they're not going to win at the company. I guess I hear this all the time. Yeah. It's probably not going to work. But they have so much conviction, and they're true believers. They're crazy people. They really, really want this thing. And even if it's not this company, it's going to be the next company. Mm. If it's not this project, it's going to be the next iteration of these projects, right? Mm. So you just can't think of it as, like, wins and losses. Like, it's not – it's cumulative. Like, Mm. you know, all the L's are the things that, like, you know, give you the presence of mind to to take bigger bets that are more informed than where you started from. But it does start with – your own conviction that this thing has to happen or will happen. Even if you, and when we, when we, when we bought Powder Mountain, um, Beth Comstock. That was a big bet. That was a big bet. And Beth Comstock, who at the time was the vice chairman of GE, pulled us aside and who, who ended up becoming a founding uh, member of the project. But she was like, guys, she's like, we were 27. Yeah. She was like, and we had no real real estate development background. No. She's like, you do not have the skill set to do what you are uh, proposing or, or, uh, aspiring to. Right. But I believe that you will learn into it. I believe that you have the capacity to like, you know, fight day in, day out and like take the hits that are going to come along the way and learn into the curve to actually succeed at this vision that you've set forth. And not only do I believe in the vision and I'm inspired by the vision, but I believe in your capacity to grow into it. Right. So I think that, if I had any advice for like listeners that are more at the beginning of their career path, like, of course you're a moron. What are you? You don't know anything. Like we didn't know anything. We were idiots. Like, but we were, we were voracious learners Mm. and we have a lot of self forgiveness Mm -hmm. and not much self judgment. Mm. Um, and our coping mechanism was almost like just, you know, you can't take life too seriously. You'll never get out alive. Right. So it's like, why not just go for it? And once you have a institution like we have, and you have a lot to lose, like we have a lot to lose. Um, we do not ready fire aim anymore. Like right. that, what got you here won't get you there. You got to drop that shit. Like that works for the run up does not work for the, for the, for the stewardship. Right. right? So, um, I've shifted postures now to being much, much more considerate and much more strategic and, you know, looking for a lot more inputs before we 
build a plan or take action. Frankly, the expectations change. Like when you're nobody and you're on the way up, people want to see you win. Mm-hmm. Once you're established and you've built something for yourself and you've, you're perceived as like a winner or whatever, then you do not have the permission to screw shit up or to like be unconscious uh, that you do. Like, you know, I'm sure you remember early summit events. You'd be like, oh, they put me in bed with three other people. It wasn't my hotel room. Or like, you know, they <laughs> forgot to serve dinner. But you know what? It was amazing. Like right. the other hundred things were so wonderful. I'm just going to give them a pass on this shit. It doesn't work that way once you're like later in the game. And then just the consequences just get so much higher. Like, you screw some shit up when you have a little company or a little uh, enterprise, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But when you're, like, dealing with tectonic movements, whether in philanthropy or impact or business, um, you can't open up the ground twice, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean, when you're building a town. Or, you know, you can't, if you're going to direct a quarter of a billion dollars into a conservation project, like, it better be the right conservation project. Because these things are finite. Like, there is a finite amount of interested people and capital that wants to go towards world positive stuff. And, um, you know, we're very careful not to waste anybody's time or attention. So what are some of the core values? Cause I, oh, you spent your twenties basically building this community and yeah. buying a mountain to house yeah. the community, yeah. but having incredible events all over the world, gathering people, largely entrepreneurs who are excelling in various industries, a lot of activists and artists as well. Mm-hmm. What, where would you say your values lie today in regards to the Summit community in kind of the next 10 years? I think that the more diverse the inputs, the more complex and impactful the outputs. Um, arbitrage between disconnected silos of knowledge or communities is the greatest creator of like you know, world change in history. It's like the spice route, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And now in 2020, these things can happen instantaneously. Like everybody's businesses are sort of folding in on one another. Mm -hmm. And there's just an economic incentive. Like the more diverse the perspectives, the more thoughtful and creative the outcomes. It's Mm -hmm. not like, I'm not... I'm sure you could debate it, but like proof's in the pudding, man. You can't argue with the results, right? Proof's in the pudding is a weird, weird saying. Who says that? Um, anyway, I remember saying that Zhang was just like, what does that mean to you? Anyway, so... <laughs> Who you know, eats you can't, pudding? Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't eat pudding. But uh, yeah, you can't argue with results, right? So so that's... I mean, and, and, and we really want to be multi-generational, multidisciplinary. Um, we want to use our stage to bring archetypical thought leaders that then inform the rest of our community on how to live a better life, you know, personally, professionally. Um, and... We want to, you know, like really use our platform to achieve the maximum amount of good that we can. So, you know, historically we were much more of a convening place, much more of a platform. These days, you know, we launched our own fellowship program, our mm-hmm. own criminal justice policy lab. Um, we do our own major conservation projects versus just connecting capital to to you know to projects or connecting right. you know people that want to like give back to it. You know, we built a lot of like. UN Foundations Entrepreneurship Council or like, mm-hmm. you know, the Conservation Lands, like Leadership Circle or whatever. But that's not really our project or us doing it. So I think, um, yeah, taking a little bit more personal responsibility in the outcomes uh, mm-hmm. now that we have a platform that we can use. Um, but we didn't. We didn't have, sh- we didn't have shit. We were, well, like, we, were, we, were, we were just like blown away that legitimate people would participate in our things in the first place early on. Yeah, and I would also push back. I mean, this might not be the direction that you want to take it, but I look to an organization like TED, which has been capturing content from day one, mm-hmm. and you have just as much, if not more, mm-hmm. um, that is kind of hasn't 
seen as much light of day in terms yeah. of like public yeah. viewership. And so I'm curious if, you know, you have plans to kind of extend beyond the community totally. in terms of outreach. Totally. And we want to expand in many different ways. Content. I mean, look, does the world need more Ted talks? I well, mean, yeah, that's a great point. Ted, Ted talks were hugely inspiring for me when I was 22 years old or 21, that like coming out of college, there was no intellectualism in any community that I could find. So I was like a total outlier. None of my friends gave a shit about this stuff. So it was like, to find, you know, I went to like the TED, you know, like screening thing in New York City when I was like 21. I went to some like community organized, like, you know, whatever. I was just desperate to find communities that thought this way. And I certainly learned amazing things from those early talks. Um, I don't think that that's how I learn. I certainly don't think that's how the, this upcoming generation learns, like sitting through a 20 minute, you know, presentation. Right. Um, so for us, I think audio content, I think animating content to help visualize and civilize complex ideas Mm -hmm. um, is really important. I think that, you know, for us to be able to do more events that have a wider tent for people that are at a different stage in their careers, sort of like to just the sort of exalted few at Summit. Here's the critique. The the, the, the accurate (laughs) criticism of Summit historically is this like trickle down innovation. It's like, sure, part of the value proposition is we create an environment filled with people that share a certain psychographic from all these different backgrounds, but they're all exceptional. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. you can't really get in. And have means to get there. Yeah. And and for the the vast majority have the means to get there, can afford, you know, a multi-thousand dollar ticket to an event like this. Um, And so that's primarily why we built our fellowship program. Um, which now has, you know, 90 fellows from 24 countries that get this two-year program and it has mentors from the community and our global community directors also, you know, help them connect with whomever they need um, for whatever purpose, right? Like, no job too big, no job too small. And we think that the gift of community is evergreen. And it's, Mm. like, the most impactful Mm -hmm. thing you can really provide to somebody. And kind of the greatest gift, like, the biggest punishment is to send somebody away from our community, so literally imprison them. Right. The greatest gift is to like bring somebody into your home and treat them like your family. You know, yeah, totally. Um, so, so uh, yeah, I think that for Summit, the long term vision is definitely, excuse me, is definitely to do some more stuff with the content that we have. We don't just want to put out the talks. What what works live for us doesn't work for the audience, and right. I would argue, tr- look. There are some speakers that are like the Michael Jordans of speaking, Esther Perel and Simon Sinek and sure. Sir Ken Robinson and some of these, but this is what they do. Right. It's literally, you're great at what you do every day. Like this is what they do every day. Yeah. If you're an entrepreneur or like an impact leader, you're doing that every day. You're not like delivering 20 minute keynotes, right? So our format is very conversational. It's these fireside chats. It's very much flow mm-hmm. flowing. And we think that you get like authentic um, otherwise non, uh, you would not arrive at these, you know, pieces of knowledge or perspective or understand these people as, as deeply as you can, but that really works best in a live format. Totally. Um, it's not great for video or audio format necessarily. So we have to create a new, which is not our business. So yeah. we're working on it. We're talking to new partners about that. Um, and similarly, we think about music the same way, you know, mm-hmm. like we don't mm-hmm. just book like our favorite albums right you know band because that doesn't mean that it's a great live performance i want us to be able to have this conversation or go dance at the party to the band um it's a very particular kind of music that's specifically about maximizing the social experience versus like i don't want to look at someone else and watch their show passively necessarily Mm -hmm. um the entire time and so we certainly do book some 
performers and musicians who are just beautiful, amazing artists, and we all sit and bask in their creativity and their art. But for us, like for Summit, for the majority of the experiences, I don't know if you were even aware, this is how we thought about stuff. Not on the music side. Yeah, we always look at live videos. We always think about it from like, you know, the perspective of what's the hang like, you know? Right, totally. I think like John Baptiste or the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, like they're very much like energies that that slide out into the room. It's not just like a part like watching it. Can I tell you something else about extremist love? Yeah, please. And I have another question. Yeah, Yeah, please. Uh, you know, somebody, somebody was like, asked me a question. They were like, well, how do you guys compete, you know, in a world where everybody has so many tribes, you know, it's just like tribes, tribes, tribes. Like that's the hip word. I love your accent on this question. Everybody's got a dozen tribes, man. It's like, dude. (laughs) So tribal. No one has any tribes. Tribes are people that are mad at you because you didn't bring them your problems. That's your tribe. Mm -hmm. Like I'd be pissed at you if you didn't tell me that you were dealing with something that was, that was, that was difficult for you or bothering you and you didn't tell me and wow. allow me the opportunity to help wow everybody else in the world you're like keep your problems right uh but you know so so when you talk about extremist love like i really do think about like a large extended family being the greatest luxury in life being there for your friends when they really need it not just when it's convenient for you right um and and that's why i really love summit so much is because it is it is a big tribe like it's not worth it for people in our community to take advantage of anyone in the community in an individual deal because they lose everything else. So there's this sort of like, you know, a vouching process, like a a immediacy to the intimacy that you can have with someone. You can build um, trust and then therefore build real friendship because there's some accountability. It's kind of like the accumulation of financial capital, similar to the accumulation of social capital in the context of the community, the more time you invest, the more time you get to know people in an intimate way, Mm -hmm. the more value is gained and not necessarily in an interaction kind of way or transactional way. It's just like quality of life, right? It's like life is better when you have this family that can extend and, you know, you can share your challenges and your celebrations totally. with them. Well, networking, traditional networking is the extraction of value. It's right. like, what can I get from you? Uh, I call it net worthing. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think you act. Do you actually call it that? I do. And you really, this is a, you didn't just make that up on the spot. No, okay, I've been well, calling well, it that for a while. All right. Well, yeah, you got it. And, and summit people do your networking for you. Right. Like if you and I are you got to meet this guy. Yeah, yeah. Nothing yeah. will make me happier than to see you pick up a W. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I don't need to have personal incentivization. But it does allow me to triangulate goodwill from other people. So if I'm constantly living in a way where I'm just doing without the expectation of return for people around me, not only does that, you know, come back to you multiplied. Again, this is not some like woo-woo hippie shit. This is like my life. Like I promised this worked. Yeah. And, uh, but, but it puts you into a state where you will expect uh, that you can make that ask of other people. And the frame is like giving them the gift of giving you a gift. Mm. You know, I'm not like asking you for a favor where I now owe you something. It's like, hey, do you want to do this for me? Or can you help me with this? If the answer is no, whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, if you don't reciprocate the the, the good thing I did for you, uh, that's fine. I'm This is a giving competition and I intend to win, <laughs> right? And, and it's not a game of trades and it's not a reciprocity loop. And if you're thinking about things transactionally like that, then that is what is going to result in your life. Right, right. So I'm... I'm thinking about 2008 and how pre-2008, the cool thing to do out of college if you wanted to make a bunch of money was go into banking. Mm -hmm. And post-2008, the cool thing to do out of college if you want to make a bunch of money was to have a startup. Yeah. 
still, I think there's a bit of that energy in the air, but there are also just a ton of people who are like living the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Mm -hmm. What do you think's missing from that? What do you want to tell all those people? Which people? The people that are orienting their lives around, oh, I want to, I see success as having a successful startup Mm -hmm. um, and Summit as being like the breeding ground for people that are operating in that space. Yeah. What what do you think is important for them to be prioritizing and thinking about as successful? Sure. There's rhetorical radicalism and practical radicalism. There's like looking the part and then acting (laughs) as if, right? right? And... Uh, it doesn't matter what you say or what you wear or how you look or, you know, the lifestyle. What matters is, like, do you do the thing that you set out to do? Like, entrepreneurship, to start start something, to build a company, to build anything, it's really, really hard. It takes years and years and years of work. It's just so rare. I don't care what you do, how simple of a product. There's three years of grinding just to set up everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you really don't care about the thing that you're trying to bring into the world, it's not going to happen. It's just mm. not going to show up. You mm. know what I mean? Like there has to be somebody who is a true believer, who is truly like, you know, the root of enthusiasm is the word entheos. It means with God, right? Mm. So, uh, you know, if when you find passion and you find enthusiasm and lean into it, you can really go and build something special. If you don't have that, you're working and I'm having fun. And so I'm just going to run circles around you because it's like a sacrifice for you. And it's what I do that gives me meaning in my life. Right. So, you know, Naval Ravikant talks about this. It's like kind of impossible to compete without passion at this point because someone that's passionate is just ultimately going to, you know, run way more reps than you. They love it and you don't. Right. You know, so, um, I mean, I'll tell you, there's also a mental health crisis in startups. Like there is in the rest of the country. Like it's really hard on your own and you're always flexing and telling people about how good shit is so they buy your product or will invest in your company right. and you can't really tell you or at least people don't feel like they can tell folks what they really need what they're really struggling with right. so it can be really lonely you know like there's there's so i guess what i would say it's like don't just do it to do it you know like if you need to acquire capital because you have a family or you have you know a student debt or you want to have you know more security or whatever it is like that is a really important reason to make money. Like you should 100% do that. I do. I need to make money. I totally. mean, it's an important part of, you know, living a happy, healthy, secure life, you know? Totally. Um, I don't do it for a Maserati. You know <laughs> what I mean? I don't do it so I can like wear Gucci loafers or whatever. Like, and in fact, as you know, in our community, people kind of clown on you for that shit. Like you're clearly, you know, like insecure And you think that your presentation of success is, you know, going to get you more love. All we want is more love, right? Right. Um, So, you know, to, to, to just skip to the end, you know, like to truly solve a problem for other people is what building a business is. Mm. You know, like if it's not doing that, then don't do it. We don't need it. Um, The thing I would challenge the summit community towards and when we sort of subtly do like, and again, it's not judgmental because like. I know how hard it is to build any business, to raise any capital, right. to employ any people, the responsibility that comes with it. Like, um, we just don't have time for also ran shit anymore. Like there are too many problems. For what shit? Also ran shit. You know what I mean? Like a little bit better. Mm. Or like, uh, or it's like, you know, it's, it's cupcakes for puppies. No one needs it. You know, like if you're brilliant and you're capable, we need you 
to focus on things that are going to actually impact the quality of life for the people around us. And we were just having this conversation about a mutual friend. I don't know if you remember, but I was like, yo, he's doing incredible work. Yeah. Um, and I, he's so smart. Yeah. But like, why is he working on that business that feels like cupcakes for puppies when he could be saving the world? Yeah. And you were like, well, he's a capitalist. He's a brilliant capitalist. He's a really good businessman. Yeah. So do you feel like it's important in this time in 2020 for business and purpose to be not just about kind of like the service of one's personal kind of fantasies, but rather like the service of others? Or or do you think like there's still a lot of room for us to kind of like indulge in, I don't know, maybe um, less socially active businesses? I think it's really unfair to rush people's uh, uh, progression down this path. Cool. And again, like that, my comment about like environmentalism and like, I, I'm, I'm deeply committed to the environmental movement and I dedicate a lot of my time to it. And I also don't think it's beneficial to judge people. Uh, that, I didn't know that, you were a that, vegetarian. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. But uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to judge people that like don't agree with us. You know right. what I mean? Like, okay, totally. this is a totally huge concept that like you're now all of us are responsible for the health of the planet. Like that is a big, big, big idea. Right. And if you are not in control of your own small life, like, and if you have your own problems, why are you worried about the problems of these existential issues of the planet? Like it's right. really unfair. So it's avoidance um, of your real shit. Yeah. I just don't, I don't, I think it's like, you know, people get there over time. What I will say is that there's it's it's selfless selfishness, okay? It, hmm. There is there is a lot of self interest in giving back, right. you know, like right. people like you more, you know, <laughs> people think you're a better person, you feel a greater sense of meaning and uh, and contribution, um, you know, both like from a purely practical, you know, you get invited to cool dinner parties mm-hmm. and galas and shit. And, uh, and I, and I don't mean to be so crass about it, but I'm being kind of serious, like being in it, dude, motivating employees, attracting the best people to work on your project. If your project is pretty meaningless, really hard to get like brilliant people at this moment in time to come and work with you. Like I, I see it every day. Like, you know, it is a, it is in, and your customers become your marketers when you are doing something that's for purpose. So it it is totally self-serving to be focused on impact and, and we all share this world. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm not a better person because I do shit for the environment or something than somebody that doesn't, you know, uh, allocate any of their time to it. I think that's a ridiculous premise. I just think that, you know, what I would want to communicate and dude, we're preaching to the converted here. They're listening to the love extremist pro- podcast. So it's highly unlikely. They're like, Who knows? I'm going to stop working on my oil futures business for, you know, <laughs> oh man, you know, like building new coal mines and getting exhausted. Clean coal. Let's go. on some Ethan. Um, <laughs> but no, that's just it. It's just so, it's so self-serving. Yeah. And, and so like, I've kind of like, I don't like the robes of impact. Or like the the, the image of you know altruism. Altruism is a lie. The it, higher than now kind of thing. Yeah, and it's just a lie. It's not selfless. It's not this puritanical version of charity. And you know what I mean. It's really about um, the, the only other thing I would say is that like certain people feel like their happiness is totally attached to like the happiness of themselves and the small circle of people around them, and then others feel that 
the quality of their life is impacted by the quality of the lives of those that have it the worst in our society. Mm-hmm. I'm afflicted with that. Like mm-hmm. I think about, you know, like people that live on the street in the city and families that have their kids on the street in the city, 20,000 homeless people in Los Angeles. Uh, over a hundred thousand. Is that over a hundred thousand? So like 163. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. Los Angeles County is huge, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, our like criminal justice system and how we criminalize people for like shit that's not criminal and then right. it totally destroys their lives and the people around. Like there's like, if I feel this, so yeah. I work on it. If I didn't feel it, I wouldn't work on it. You know, right. like I'm just being real about it. Totally. And also like where, where are your access, like where are you getting feedback? Like who are you going to, to make sure like you're tapped in and like you're approaching it from a perspective that's like the most effective or beneficial when you're when you're putting your work out there to make impact, I'm in a really lucky position that like my community that I service at Summit is like wildly intelligent and mm-hmm. exposed and experienced, and so and I've had a lot of like amazing mentors in all of these different spaces who have like kind of you know uh, uh, they've they've you know reframed these issues for me in in ways that. Um, have elevated my, my, my actions in a sense. So like, I'm a big believer in market-based solutions for a lot of these problems, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I think that, you know, things that lose money typically shrink, things that make money typically grow. And so for a lot of these issues, like figuring out an economic vehicle, um, to take better care of people Mm -hmm. often is like a great near-term solution. Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's in healthcare, criminal justice environment, Mm -hmm. um, and there's this concept of dead aid, you know, trillion dollars goes into Africa over 30 years, it gets poorer, right? Mm-hmm. We're not doing it right. And mm-hmm. the alleviation of suffering in the present moment is really, really important. On the homeless tip, like Project School Bell here in LA or SRO housing, really important. Um, they will not fix the problem. They're dealing with the symptoms, which right. are human beings. So I don't right. mean to be like, so that's, it, it was so important. You know, like you have to kind of do both. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, the, the big piece is that like we seek out criticism more than anything else. Like we're always trying to get people that will tell us what they truly think about ourselves, about the partners that we have, about, you know, the ways in which you can create change. Um, and there are just some brilliant people out there mm-hmm. that are doing unbelievable things. We, I'll give one example. Um, Mikkel Vestergaard Franson was like the first one for us. It was 2009, and we were working with the UN Foundation. Uh, it was like one of the very, very first organizations we worked with. A woman named Elizabeth Gore kind of took us under her wing. And she was like, hey, you guys have this community of entrepreneurs. You need to meet this guy, Mikkel. Uh, he's a humanitarian entrepreneur. We were like, what does that mean? Yeah. And, and what it meant is that Mikkel invented the Life Straw, which is a handheld water purification device. Nice. And the Permanet, which is a mosquito net with an injected insecticide that is the same technology as wrinkle-free dress shirts. <laughs> you talk about arbitrage, right? Like, right. he just took the technology from wrinkle-free dress shirts, moved it to mosquito nets, and wow. here we are, like, on the verge of eradicating malaria around the world right now. Um, it's a for-profit business. This yeah. guy sells nine figures of life-saving supplies to the World Health Organization and UNICEF and all these other groups. And once we got exposed to that, we were like, man, that is amazing. That's Mm -hmm. like the shit. That's Mm -hmm. where we really want to like lean into and focus our energy and attention and prop up as like sort of the archetypical entrepreneurs that we think are doing the most meaningful work. That's dope. So yeah, I think there's like a really beautiful nugget that that's coming through here, which is really the intersection of impact 
and business Mm -hmm. is like the modern, the modern path for anyone that's really thinking about entrepreneurship. It's like, how do you solve a problem that is really impacting people in a meaningful way and do it profitably? Yeah. And effectively. So that's awesome. Um, we have only a few more minutes, so I want to I wanna honor that. Any closing thoughts for the Love Extremist radio audience? You know, like anything that you're thinking you'd like people to, to know from Jeff Rosenthal to their ears? I mean, I just talked a heap of nonsense for the last 50 minutes. Yeah, you so dropped I'm some sure, bombs. I'm sure, we, I'm sure they've heard plenty from me. What about you, Ethan? What's going on in your world? What's up with your life? What's this is your on? podcast. You don't talk enough on your own podcast. People want to know what you're doing. Well, I'll have you on and interview me next. Okay, great. Yeah. That sounds good. <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm really excited to be talking to your content team about doing more forums and circles and right. like salon conversations uh, right. at Summit at Sea and some awesome. other events. Um, I'm heading to Hawaii to do that with Ted and Kaiser Permanente and Amazing. doing some cool like hosting and moderating there. Great. Um, and just really c- excited about stepping into the space of finding the balance between kind of like um, holding space that's safe for mm-hmm. all people and allowing people to feel comfortable sharing story and being yeah. open and vulnerable and also recognizing when that's being abused or taken advantage of. Sure. Um, and being able to lovingly approach people and say, hey, you know, we need yeah. to be honoring the stories that are real for people, right? Mm-hmm. Like lived experiences valid data in my, in my perspective. Yeah. And allowing that valid data to permeate and, and help influence our decisions and our perspectives is really important. So yeah. these conversations are part of that. Everyone I'm meeting, the salons I'm hosting, you know, the work that I'm focused on is really about amplifying voices and empowering voices that are maybe not normally speaking out. Sure. Um, and using my privilege to do that anywhere I can. Totally. Well, I guess in closing, I'll say, you know, love extremist radio. Uh, anger corrodes the vessel in which it's in. And the negative charges that we hold on to only hurt us. Mm. And so releasing those negative charges and releasing that anger... And, you know, trying to deal with your trauma, not trying to, but just doing it. You know I what I mean? Like, that, yeah. yeah, again, the want to be is to define yourself is not the thing. But, like, you know, we have to all emancipate ourselves from mental slavery, right? Like Marley said. And, and sh- shifting our relationship to it. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't deny my reality as a brain cancer survivor, but I put the emphasis on survivor. Yeah. You know, and I think it's easy to say, like, the trauma was the cancer, but ultimately, no. Like, the joy is the life post. Yeah. And finding that strength to take your story and make it yours yeah and make it work for you sure we didn't land on plymouth rock plymouth rock plymouth rock landed on us is that what you're trying <laughs> yeah to that's say? what i'm trying to say okay. that's, that's exactly right <laughs> well uh, i love you i, I love really you, dude. appreciate you having me on hell um, yeah i would just to take us out i'm gonna yeah. need to know your favorite love song but also we find you at summit right on summit. all the instagrams What's summit. The co. uh you know summit.co summit.co and uh <laughs> And we have a book coming out at the end of this year called Make No Small Plans on Hell Currency. Yeah. That yeah. You should buy like a couple thousand copies of. Yeah, just you know? a couple thousand. No big yeah, deal. No big deal. So what's your favorite love song right now? My Take favorite love song? Uh, man. I mean, have you listened to the new Mac Miller album? We were just, I sent you. Yes, the, you did. The love song. You did. I mean. What's the love song? The one from the band Love. Oh, that he covers. Yeah, Everybody's got to love. Yeah, it's not I think really you know the reason, man. It's not like a love song. Yeah, I feel like that album's a ballad, you know? It's pretty amazing. What's the track? The There's no track. It's an album. I didn't, I, this is on the spot. I don't have an answer. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick my favorite Mac Miller track from that album. Okay. 
Unless you have another one that you want to offer. Well, is this like part of your show? That yeah, it's the outro. It's like, oh, okay. Let me see. <laughs> this is important. DJ, DJ Hefe. Once a day by Mac Miller. Very pretty. Very like pretty. It. Beautiful. Thank you, Jeff. This has been Love Extremist Radio. So excited to have you listening. Please leave a comment. Share this with your friends. Check out Summit. And we will see you all next week. Deuces. Once a day I rise. Once a day I fall asleep with you. Once a day I try, but I can't find a single word. I wonder what they know. I wonder if they ever even cared at all. I wonder, do they see their own reflection in the rain and look away? Everybody keep rushing Why aren't we taking our time? Every now and again, baby, I get high Don't ask me what I think It never really matters what I had to say I just keep waiting for another open door To come up soon Don't keep it all in your head The only place that you know nobody ever can see You running low on regret No tears that's keeping you wet I think you're getting it now but everybody keep rushing Why aren't we taking our time? Every now and again, baby, I get high And everybody means something When they're stuck on your mind but every now and again, why can't we just be fine? Once a day I rise Once a day I fall asleep with you Once a day I try, but I can't find a single word